Amen. Bow with me, Lord. We thank you for the name Jesus. And we thank you that in that name there is power. And Lord, we just pray that name over this place. Lord, I pray that name over every person in this room, Jesus. And I pray that Jesus would speak to their very heart. And Lord, today I especially pray if there was someone in this room that doesn't know that name, that doesn't know that name for salvation, that today you would save them and you would change their life forever. So, Lord, we are here because of Jesus and we pray everything in that mighty name. Amen and amen. As you're seated, just let me tell you why I love that song so much. Speak the name of Jesus. It's because I believe it is what God has called this church to do. And when I came here five years ago, God began to lay on my heart the purpose and the reason Northport Baptist Church exists. And the reason for that comes from the Word of God, the Bible. And it comes from Luke 19. And in Luke 19.10, we get the purpose statement for Jesus. Why Jesus Christ was born and came to this earth. Because he says in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why Jesus came, to seek and to save that which is lost. So if Jesus Christ came to that end, I believe the church should know why they exist. So our purpose, our reason for existing as Northport Baptist Church comes from that same text, Luke 19, because that is the story of Zacchaeus. We all know about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wicked man. He was a tax collector, and he lived in the town of Jericho. And for whatever reason, Jesus was going to pass by through his town on his way to Jerusalem, and Zacchaeus wanted to see him. He wanted to see Jesus. So there were large crowds lining the streets also wanting to see Jesus. So Zacchaeus had to run down where Jesus was going to go, and the only way he could see him was to climb up into a sycamore tree. And as he climbed up into that sycamore tree, the Bible says Jesus passed by and Jesus looked up into that tree and he saw him and he cried out to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down. And Zacchaeus came down and Jesus went to his house that night and Zacchaeus was saved, radically saved, and his life was changed forever. And then Jesus Christ gives us that text in Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And our reason for existing is to be nothing more than a sycamore tree that was planted on the side of a road in Jericho. That's what we are. We are a tree because we as a church are called to lift people up to see Jesus Christ. That's what that tree did for Zacchaeus, and that's what God has called this church to do, to lift people up to see Jesus. And the only way people can see Jesus is to hear the name Jesus, according to Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So we must speak Jesus into people's life so that they can see him and be lifted up out of the muck and mire of this world so that their life can be changed for eternity. So I pray that you would speak the name of Jesus so people's lives, just like Zacchaeus, could be changed. And this morning, I want to show you how that is possible. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Daniel. We're going to go away from Revelation. We've been studying the book of Revelation for a few weeks. We're going to go away from Revelation this morning and I just want to look at a text of scripture in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. This week, as I was studying really for Revelation, I came across a story in just a book I was reading. And it was a story about two missionaries, Vincent and Margaret Crosette. And about 90 years ago, Vincent and Margaret Crosette were called to go to mainland China, just to a small village in mainland China. And there God called them to give their life. And they really thought that's where they were going to spend the rest of their life. 
And they lived in a small village out in the middle of nowhere. And they lived in poverty. And they lived in just difficult situations. They didn't know the language. They had to learn the language. They didn't know how they were going to win people to Christ. But God began to bless them. And over time, over several years, they won just a handful of believers. New converts to Jesus. And so those new converts really started just meeting in their house to form the nucleus of a church. And it was really, honestly, nothing more than a Bible study. But they would meet week after week, and Vincent and Margaret Cosette would just pour the Word of God into them. About 1940, a cultural revolution happened in China. And out of that cultural revolution, the Communist Party began to rise to power. And if you know anything about communism, the number one goal of communism is to stamp out Christianity because you can't have communism with Christianity, faith in God. So they began to persecute Christians. They began to drive out missionaries. So in about 1940, Margaret and Vincent Corset had to leave China. And they had to leave everything they knew. They had to leave the call of God placed on their life. And they had to leave that little nucleus of a church. And they had no idea when they left what was going to happen to that church. How in the world could those few believers survive with communism and its power pressing in on them? So when they finally got back here to the States... The only thing they knew to do was to pray. And so they started praying for that little church that used to meet in their home. For 40 years they prayed. And for 40 years they prayed without hearing a word from anyone in China, without hearing a word from anyone in that church, but they continued to pray. In about 1980, China began to change just a little bit in the way that they would at least let Westerners back into the country. So the Crosettes made their way back to China. And when they went to that little village where they had given their life and where that church had started, they didn't know what they were going to find when they got there. But when they got there, they didn't find just a small group of believers. What they found was a church that was numbering over 4,000 new believers. It was almost every person in that village had come to Christ. And not only that, they had planted over 12 churches and villages around them. And each of those 12 churches had averaged at least 1,000 people in their church. So this little church that started with just four or five believers had now become a church of over 10,000 people. Why? Because two people prayed. And as I read that story, I just wondered about myself. And I wondered if I would have been as faithful for 40 years as the Crosettes were to pray. When I could do nothing else, would I pray? About that time last week when I was reading that story, I was reading through the Gospel of John, just in my quiet time anyway. And I came across a verse, and I know this verse, I read it all the time because I want it to be true in my life, even though it isn't. But this is what Jesus says in John chapter 14. He says in verse 12, he says, I tell you the truth. Now, this isn't a truth. This is the truth, according to Jesus Christ. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. Then he says this in verse 13. He says, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to his Father. Now that verse always just 
convicts me. It always bumfuzzles me because I can't understand it. Because what Jesus Christ is saying, truly, he says anyone who believes. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's you. That's me. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. But I haven't met anyone who has done the same works of Jesus Christ on this earth, much less greater works than he has done. Have you? I bet you haven't. You don't have to answer it, but I bet you haven't. So the question is why? If Jesus says this is the truth, why are we not doing the same things that he did on this earth? Why are we not walking up to lame people and saying walk and they walk? Or blind people say see and they see. Why are we not doing the things that he did on this earth? Crowds preaching to them and they follow. Why? Well, obviously because we're not living the life Jesus lived, right? Now we think in our minds that Jesus lived a life that's impossible for us to live, but he didn't. Now, I know he came to this earth of a virgin. I know he came without sin in his life. But listen to me. Jesus Christ could have sinned if he had chosen to sin. Because the Bible says he was tempted in every way. He was tempted just like you, just like me. He could have sinned, but he chose not to sin. Also, for whatever reason that I don't understand, and I can't wrap my mind around this, but Jesus Christ came to this earth, God in the flesh, but he was in the flesh. So he limited his divinity with flesh, with this stuff that we wear. With humanity. And so the only way Jesus Christ could do all the things that he did. Through the power that he did it through. Were two ways. He said in John 6.38. I came to do the will of the Father. And then Acts 10.38 says that Jesus did everything through the power of the Holy Spirit. Guess what you and I can do? We can do the will of the Father. And we can work through the power of the Holy Spirit just like Jesus. So why are we not doing the things that Jesus did. That he said we can do. Because we're not living the life he lived. So I guess the most important question for us is how did Jesus Christ always do the will of the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit? And there's only one way he always did it. And that way was through prayer. Through prayer. It's not any more difficult than that. Do a quick survey of Jesus' life and see how many times he just prayed. Just do it. Go look at the very beginning of his ministry. When he started his ministry on this earth, do you know what he did? He prayed. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and he prayed. The night before he chose his disciples, do you know what he did? He spent the night in prayer. Of course, we know what he did before he went to the cross. We know what the Garden of Gethsemane held. He prayed. Over and over and over again, Jesus Christ prays. In Luke 4, he has large crowds following him. And they want to be ministered to. And the crowds are growing and growing by the day. But do you know what Jesus Christ does? The Bible says in Luke 4 that he leaves the crowds. And guess what he does? He prays. Mark 1, the same story says he goes to a solitary place and he prays. Why? Because Jesus understood that to fulfill what God placed him on this earth to fulfill, he must do it. Through the will of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only way that was possible is through prayer. You see, really, all Jesus Christ did is he lived the life that we were created to live. Go back to Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, it talks about Adam and Eve in the garden. And every day, do you know what Adam and Eve did? The Bible says they walked with God and they talked with God. Every day, that's what they did. They walked with God and they talked with God. Guess what Jesus Christ did? Every day he lived on this earth, he walked with God and he talked with God. And then everything that he did was just an overflow of that. 
everything. And guess what God has called us to do in this life? To walk with Him and to talk with Him. We make the Christian life so difficult and we put all these expectations and all these requirements on our life when God doesn't do that. God just desires for us to walk with Him and to talk with Him and then everything else takes care of itself. It all takes care of itself. Then the overflow of everything of our life is just our time spent with God in prayer just like Jesus. There was a man in the Old Testament that understood this a lot better than we do. This man's name was Daniel. Most of us know the story of Daniel. We know Daniel 3, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know Daniel 6, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. We know the miracles of God that happened in their life. But we really don't know why. But if you go study Daniel all the way back to Daniel chapter 1, you'll see when Daniel was a teenager, probably around the age of 15, the land in which he lived, the land of Judah, Israel, was just come over and it was destroyed by a nation called Babylon. And the king at that time was Nebuchadnezzar. And he took Daniel and some other Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they went back to Babylon. And they went there and he was going to train them in Babylonian ways so that they would become like the Babylonians. And then he would send them back to Judah or other places to lead and to be like governors or officials over certain people. And even in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel would not do what God told them not to do. And Daniel just lived a life of devotion and God blessed him for it. And he even became a leader in the Babylonian government. But then in Daniel 6, just before that, the Babylonian government was destroyed by the Medes and Persians. And a new king arose, King Darius. But for whatever reason, God blessed Daniel, and God, in Darius's eyes, made Daniel a very important official. So much, in fact, he was going to become a ruler just under Darius, and he was going to rule over all 120 provinces or states all over the Persian Empire. And so there were some officials that didn't like this, and so they tried to find a way to accuse Daniel before the king, and they couldn't find it. And so the only thing they could do to trick the king, Darius, into doing something with Daniel was to say, well, we know that Daniel is a man of God and that through his religion we can find fault with him. So they trick King Darius. They go to Darius and say, hey, Darius, you're the greatest king that's ever lived. You need to do this. You need to make a law, a decree that anyone for 30 days that prays to any divine being or any human being other than you will be thrown into a lion's den and killed, destroyed. King Darius's pride got the best of him. He said, that's a pretty good idea. And so he made a law, and the law said, for 30 days, no one can bow down to any other divine being or any other human except me. And I want you to see what Daniel does right after that law is signed. This is verse 10 of Daniel 6. The Bible says, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with the windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he always had done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Darius's house and or to Daniel's house and found him praying, asking for God's help. Now, here's the question I have for you. Is prayer that important to you? Knowing that you would lose your life if you prayed, would you still pray? Or would you try to find a way out? 
Would you try to find a way, well, God really doesn't want me to die, so maybe I should just hold off on praying for a few days? Or would you try to pray in secret so nobody would see you? What would you do? Is prayer that important in your life? Well, to Daniel, it was that important to his life. It was more important than his life because he knew if he didn't pray, he wouldn't be close to God. I have a feeling, no, I know because I know it's true in my life and yours, that prayer is not that important in our life. For most of us, prayer is just a routine. It's just something we do because somebody's told us we need to do it. But I want you to see that prayer is what God has called us to. Not ministry, not life, prayer. And if you pray and you pray a biblical prayer life, God will use you for his glory. Just like he did Daniel. Just like he's done so many others. So this morning, very quickly, I just want to give you just three simple things about prayer, biblical prayer, so you can understand what God has called us to do. The first thing I want you to know about biblical prayer is biblical prayer for us as followers of Jesus Christ is always repentant. We should repent when we pray. Now, I could talk about this all day, but repentance is just something we do originally when we come to Jesus Christ. When we believe in him, not only must we believe in him, we must repent because all repentance means is to turn. So what we're doing when we come to Jesus Christ for salvation, we're turning from our sin and turning to him for salvation. That's all repentance is. But so many people will teach and even a lot of scholars will teach. Well, that's the only time you have to repent. That is not true. Repentance, when you come to Jesus Christ, should become a natural part of your life. Back in the fall last year and through the first of this year, I hope you remember we memorized part of the Sermon on the Mount together, Matthew chapter 5. We'll go to Matthew chapter 6 in a few weeks. But we memorized Matthew 5. And in the first part of Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, we have the Beatitudes. They're just attitudes we're to have as followers of Jesus Christ. And if you'll remember the first three, in Matthew 5, 5, it talks about God will bless those who are poor in spirit. And then the next beatitude is God blesses those who mourn. And then the next one is God blesses those who are humble. Listen, you cannot have those three attitudes before God unless you are repentant when you come to God. Meaning that you come to God in desperation with no hope, needing Him not only for salvation, but for forgiveness. And When we go before God with a haughty, prideful attitude, it is not an attitude of forgiveness. And repentance. Why is that so important? Why is it so important to prayer? Listen to Isaiah 59 two. This is what the prophet Isaiah says. He says it is your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins. He is turned away and will not listen anymore. Whenever we come before God with unconfessed sin in our heart. He is not listening to our prayers until we confess that sin and get right with him. And that's what 1 John 1, 9 is in our life. It says, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whenever you go to God in prayer, the first thing you should do is confess your sins if you have unconfessed sin in your heart and let him forgive you because he's faithful and just to forgive you of those sins. And then he will hear your prayers. Daniel would go to God in this vein. Go read Daniel chapter 9 sometime. The very first part of Daniel chapter 9 says he goes to God and he goes to God with burlap and ashes on his face. In the Old Testament, that is just a sign of repentance, knowing his deep and desperate need for God. Repentance is the only way in this life 
that we can be like Jesus. It's the only way we can be holy. It's the only way we can be cleansed. It's the only way we can be near to God so He hears our prayers. Jesus was sinless. He never chose sin, so He never had to confess sin. We do. So go to Him with a repentant heart. But not only go to Him with a repentant heart, go to Him with a listening ear. Because biblical prayer is prayer that listens James 1.19 says that we should be slow to speak and quick to listen. Boy, we ought to apply that verse to prayer because when we go to God, that's not usually the way we go to God. We go to God speaking and rarely listening. But it should be the other way around. If we want to hear God's heart, we must listen. I want you to think about Jesus' life for just a moment. And I want you to think about all the things he did on this earth and all the prayers that he prayed. Did you ever read a prayer where Jesus says, Father, if it be thy will, let it be done. Have you ever read Jesus saying that or praying that? How many times have you heard one of us pray that? I mean, we want to do the will of God just like Jesus did, right? So in our prayers, we qualify what we say, if it be thy will. Have you ever heard that? Of course you had. Why does Jesus not have to pray that? Because Jesus always knew the will of God. Why did he always knew the will of God? Because when he prayed, he listened and he heard God speak and he knew his will. So everything he did, everything he prayed was the will of God. So he didn't have to qualify his prayers. He knew them because he listened. And if we will go to God listening, whatever we ask for according to his will will be given to us. Listen to 1 John 5.14. 1 John 5.14 says this, And this is the confidence that we have towards Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. He hears us. How do we know His will? Because we spend time with Him and listen to Him rather than speaking to Him. So another question, well, how do you hear the voice of God? Let me tell you the primary way that you hear the voice of God. It is through His Word. So any time that you pray, you should always have God's Word. So often when we pray and we read the Bible, we separate those two things as two separate things. They are not two separate things. They are one and of the same. And you should never pray without reading God's Word and primarily reading God's Word and letting God speak to you rather than you speaking to Him. He doesn't need to hear what you have to say all the time. He already knows it anyway. So whenever you pray, ask God to speak to you through Scripture and then read the Word of God. And you don't have to read 50 chapters. Just read God's Word until He says something to you. And then when He says something to you, you will know it. And you will know it's His will. And then just like Jesus, you can accomplish His will every single time. One of my favorite verses is in the book of Romans. And in Romans 8, this is what Paul says about prayer. In verse 26, he says, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows that what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Some of the greatest prayers I've ever prayed is when I have prayed nothing. Why? Because then the Holy Spirit prays for me and prays in ways that I can't. 
when you go to God, don't always go with an open mouth. But always go with an open ear. And then one last thing. Not only is biblical prayer repentant and does it listen, but biblical prayer never stops. Never. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5. Verse 17, he says, Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus. And then he says this in verse 19, Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Now earlier I told you, Jesus always did the will of the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. How did He work through the power of the Holy Spirit? By praying. Right there, Paul tells us. He says, never stop praying. And then what does he say in the verse right after that? Verse 19, do not quench the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to quench the Holy Spirit? It just means to stop His work. It means to put out a fire, to pour water on a fire. That's what it literally means. And so when we don't pray, what do we do? We quench the Holy Spirit of God. We stop His work, not only in our life, but through our life. We must pray without ceasing, never stopping. That's why Jesus tells the disciples in Luke 18. He says this in verse 1. One day Jesus told the disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. And he just tells a story about a widow before a judge. Always pray and never give up. Paul says this in Ephesians 6, talking about warfare praying. He says, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Pray without ceasing. Go back to Daniel's life. In Daniel 6.10, it says that he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. Sometimes you ought to go do the math on how many times Daniel prayed. If he was roughly 15 when he was taken into captivity in Babylon, and he was around 80 in Daniel chapter 6, and he prayed three times a day, every day of his life, as usual, do you know how many prayers that equals out to? If you do the math, it is just those prayers would be 71,175 prayers. He was a man who prayed and never stopped. Just like Jesus Christ, he was always praying. And this is what Jesus says. If we will pray like that, John 15, 7, he says, but if you remain in me and my words in you, ask for anything you want and it will be granted. How is that possible? Because if we're in Jesus through prayer, He is in us through His Word, then we will do the will of the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit every single time. So how can you pray like Daniel prayed, like Jesus prayed? Well, you need a place to pray, number one. You need a place Daniel had a place. He went there every day in his room. Now, Jesus traveled around, so he went to different places, but he always went to a solitary place. Somewhere in your house, somewhere you go every day, you need a place to pray. And then it will become a habit. Not only do you need a place, you need a time to pray, a consistent time that you do it almost every day of your life. Now, what is that time? I don't know what that time for you is. Make it whatever it is for you and God where you can be the stillest before God so that you can listen to God, so that you can focus on God. I believe the best time for me anyway, I believe the best time biblically is probably the morning. 
Because if you read Genesis 3, when did God come to meet with Adam and Eve? It says in the cool of the day. The coolest part of the day is the earliest part of the day in the morning, just before sunup. That's the coolest part of the day. Every time. I believe you should meet with God before you start your day. Now, does that mean you need to get up a little earlier? Probably. I'm not saying you have to get up three hours before you normally get up. But just set your alarm clock 20 minutes before you normally get up. And then just start with 20 minutes with God every day. Just 20 minutes. And here's how you can do it. When you sit with God in a solitary place by yourself, the first thing you need to do is just be quiet. Shut up. Don't say a word. You don't have to go to God speaking right off the bat. Just be quiet. Then confess any sin that you have. And if you ask the Holy Spirit, reveal sin to me, the Holy Spirit of God will reveal sin in your heart, I promise. And all you have to do is confess it, and then God will forgive you. The Bible says that, 1 John 1, 9. And then read the Bible. Just turn to the Word of God. Maybe you want to read through the Gospels or the New Testament. But just read, and just read till God speaks to you. That's all you have to do. Just read till He says something to you. It might be a verse, might be 40 verses, I don't know. But read until He speaks to you. And then thank Him for speaking through His Word. And then just pray. Give Him thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, that's God's will for your life. Give Him thanks. Then intercede for others. Pray prayers for those in your life who are sick or whatever it is. And then pray for yourself. Now here's the way I do that so that I don't get distracted. I write those prayers down. If I don't do that, my mind wanders. But if I'm writing something down, I tend to stay focused. And that's what I do. And it's also a great way to give thanks to God because you can go back and see all the prayers he answered, by the way. And then just worship him. After you do that, just worship him. Just sing a song. I usually have my phone with me, so I'll just play a song off my iTunes. Just worship him. And then just be quiet for just a moment. And if he wants to speak to you again, he'll speak to you. And that's all you have to do. It doesn't take forever. It's just a concentrated time with God. Walking with Him and talking with Him. And if you will do that consistently in your life, like Daniel, like Jesus, then God will start to move through your life, like Daniel, like Jesus. And it will change everything. But it only comes through prayer. One of my favorite pastors I love to listen to is Charles Stanley. Charles Stanley is, of course, the pastor at First Baptist Atlanta, and he's been the pastor now for over 50 years. But back around 1970, 1971, when he first became pastor of First Baptist Atlanta, the church initially started to grow. And a lot of people in the church were excited, but a lot of people in the church were not so excited. And because there was a lot of change happening, some of the leadership of the church began to push back against Dr. Stanley. They began to have meetings without him, trying to fire him, get rid of him. And it came to a head one Sunday morning, and this was one of the first churches really in the country that were live broadcasting their service on television, local television all over Atlanta. And back then, if you remember, churches had big chairs up on the stage. And so whoever was going to preach sat in a chair, whoever was going to pray sat in a chair, and they had about four or five chairs. And Dr. Stanley was sitting in a chair waiting to preach, and one of the deacons was sitting in a chair, and he was going to give the offertory prayer. And the offertory prayer was right before Dr. Stanley was going to preach. And so as the deacon got up to give the offertory prayer, he went up to the pulpit to pray, 
And then he stopped for just a moment and he looked back and he turned to Dr. Stanley. He walked to Dr. Stanley and he really just started blessing him out. He started chewing him out. In front of the whole church, in front of all TV. And then this deacon took his fist and he punched Dr. Stanley right in the face. On TV. Dr. Stanley's family was sitting in the front row. His kids were very small at the time. And you can imagine the commotion. You can imagine if you were Charles Stanley what you would feel in your heart. It was a horrible time in his life, and he talks about how horrible a time that was. Just a few weeks after that, an old lady in the church called his phone in his office. and She said, Charles, I want you to come to my house to eat. And he really didn't want to go, he says that, but he went just out of respect for her, out of love for her. He went to her house and they ate lunch. And as he was sitting there, the lady went up to him and she said, Dr. Stanley, I want you to see a picture that I have in my living room. So they walked into her living room and above her fireplace was a picture. And it's a famous picture, you, you might have even seen it. The title of the picture is Daniel's Response to the King. And all the picture is, is Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel chapter 6. And in the picture there are seven lions. On the ground, there are bones from people who had been killed. And then there's Daniel. The lady asked Dr. Stanley, she said, Charles, what do you see in this picture? And he was taken aback. Why are you asking me this? And he said, well, I see lines. She said, yeah, what else do you see? Well, I see bones. What else do you see? I see prison walls. What do you want me to see? Tell me. She says, I want you to look at Daniel. And I want you to look where his focus is. And Dr. Stanley looked at that picture and he saw Daniel not looking at the lions, not looking at the bones, not looking at the prison walls, but looking up to God. He said, you see, Charles... Daniel's focus was always on God. And Dr. Stanley walked out of her living room and he says to this day, that's the best sermon I've ever heard. See, that's how we focus on God, through prayer. And all the junk of this earth, all the chaos... All the sin, all the problems, all the suffering. When we turn our focus to God, all of that goes away. And then we can walk with Him. We can talk with Him. Because that's what He placed us on this earth to do. So just one last thing. The prayer that I'm talking about, biblical prayer... Listen, prayer is only for Christians. It's only for followers of Jesus Christ. And I understand that there are millions, if not billions, of prayer every day that go on on this earth. This morning, there's calls to prayers all over the world from a prayer tower in Muslim churches. That's not prayer. Prayer is talking with God. And the only way you can talk with God is through Jesus Christ. And if you do not know Jesus Christ, you can pray till you're blue in the face and God will not hear your prayers. Why? Because your sins have cut you off from God. 
And the only prayer that God will hear if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ is God, save me. That is it. Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Romans 10. This morning, if you're here and you truly feel like your prayers have never made a dent in anything. Maybe it's because you need Jesus. If you need Jesus, believe in him. Turn from your sins and turn to him and he will save you according to his word. And then you can walk and talk with God. So let me pray. Bow with me, Lord. We love you. And we are thankful that you are a God who listens to our prayers. Lord, I pray this morning as people pray. Would you come and minister in this place? And Lord, if someone's here that doesn't know you, Lord, through your spirit, draw them to yourself, just like you tell us in your word in John 16. Lead them to truth. Lead them to Jesus. So, Lord, we just give you these moments and we pray that you would move. We pray that you would speak and we pray it in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. This morning as we close. I'm just going to ask you to close in prayer. In just a moment, our praise band is going to sing a song. This morning, I really don't want you to worship. I really want you to pray. Talk with God. Listen to God. And I know there are a bunch of people in this room. It's not a solitary place. You can get alone with God even in the midst of all these people. Just go to Him. Seek Him. If that's your heart, I promise you will find it. You want to come to this altar and pray? Come to this altar and pray. You can kneel right here before God. You can have the heart of Daniel when he went to God with burlap and ashes on his face. You can humble your heart at this altar just by kneeling before him. If that's what you want, come do that. So right now, just bow your head and close your eyes. Today, meet him in this place.